0: Please take your seats. Kids, you can head out now to children's worship, I think. Yes, you can. So we have been um, doing weekly communion now for a little over a year and uh, we're going to continue doing that. But one of the things that I've noted uh, doing that over the last year is uh, typically and um, the way we used to do it, I would always pray at the end of my sermon and I haven't done that now for over a year um, because I like to go straight from... uh, uh, the sermon into the uh, sacrament, uh, because word and sacrament always go together. But also, I can tell when sometimes when I pray at the end of a sermon, you relax, <laughs> and I don't want you to relax. Uh, you kind of go like, "Well, I don't have. Whew, I'm glad that's over. I don't have to think about that anymore, and uh, I don't like that." So. Uh, <laughs> You need to keep thinking about it. So, um, I'm going to, it's also part of my duty as your shepherd, Jesus' is under shepherd to pray for you, which I do regularly, but you need to hear your pastor pray for you. And so you're going to hear it now and every week. So let me pray. Lord, we, um, confess to you today our weakness. And, um, that's not just a, um, A word, uh, a funny word that we use, just losing one hour of sleep just wrecks us. One hour. If we needed a reminder of our weakness and our mortality, that certainly does that for us. Thanks uh, that in our weakness we uh, belong to you and uh, that weakness does not repel you but drives you to us. We need your help. We always need your help. But let our feeling of weakness and tiredness and coldness and anxiety and anger and frustration and all of the emotions that are across this room this morning drive us to you, our strength and our Redeemer. Would you do that by your spirit as we hear from you now? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Luke 4, 1 to 13, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days, uh, worship service as a part of our, our worship service. And now the devil is speaking exactly the same words you just said. That, that should get your attention. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. On Wednesday night, we celebrated Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent. Some of you hate Lent, some of you mock Lent, some of you don't like it at all, uh, and some of you fully embrace it, at least in the sense of um, the way we tend to think about it. Like then, when, if, if, if you uh, were watching maybe some of the uh, cable news shows on Wednesday night, you would have noticed every now and then somebody would show up on there with the ashes on their forehead, which I'm mixed about. On the one hand, I'm like, well, that's good. They went to church, and they're wearing ashes, and people can look at that and think, what, is the, what happened to his makeup? Why has he got that on his forehead? But it also seems a little bit like, you know how Jesus said, when you pray and fast, you know, don't look like you're praying and fasting. So I'm like, eh, I don't know. It's mixed, right? Well, everything in life. Often is mixed, right? So, I don't know where you are in this. Probably some of you are thinking, yeah, you know, Lent's a good thing. I give up something every year at Lent, you know? And, and in our congregation, most of the people that I run into, they're giving up something for Lent is like, I'm not gonna drink craft beer during Lent. I'm gonna drink Miller Lite. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of about as far as we get down the, down, down the trail of giving something up, right? Or you say, I, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to give up chocolate, or I'm, I'm going to give up, you know, whatever your deal is, right? It's, it's it's and you know what? Frankly, let me just say, as your pastor, before you nod off this morning, some of you do need to give up some stuff. <laughs> uh-uh. Uh, maybe more than one thing. <laughs> so if that helps you do that, that wouldn't be all bad. So just, just editorial comment there. Right. So, so the, so the fact is, you know, the, the question that we, we tend to ask each other during Lent and Liz or uh, Becky, Liz went home. What are you doing for Lent? Right. What are you giving up? Well, you know what? I, I want you to, that's a fine question, but a better question and the question we need to ask today is what is Jesus doing for Lent? So I've been reading kind of devotionally over the last few weeks, a collection of Lutheran hymns, many of many of whom I apparently at least are ascribed to Luther, Martin Luther, maybe he wrote them, I don't know. But I thought this was a great one. Forty days and forty nights thou wast fasting in the wild. Forty days and forty nights tempted and yet undefiled the glory of these forty days. Isn't that something? Do you tend to think about the, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness as a glory? Something with which you glory, that we can glory in, Right? the glory of these 40 days, we celebrate with songs of praise for Christ through whom all things were made himself has fasted and has prayed. Because here's the thing, the thing that I want you to take away with uh, from this today is the fact that uh, Jesus is with you in temptation. And in fact, you are with Jesus in his temptation. Both things are true. And we need to kind of latch on to that this morning. Now. Uh, the, the, the thing is, that the issue for many of us today is, as you hear this thing about temptation, what you are prepared for, and if you've heard sermons, uh, even sermons I've preached on this text before, is that we kind of come at this with a primer of uh, ways to avoid temptation or a primer on, on ways in which we can, you know, not be tempted or overcome temptation. We're going to talk about some of those things in a little bit, but what, I, what would be better for us today is to take a bigger picture to see what difference does it make that I am united to Jesus and Jesus is united to me, and how does that help me in times of suffering and struggle and temptation? Because the fact of the matter is, if you are a living, breathing human, the fact of the matter is, if you are in Christ today, you will experience temptation you will, you will experience it over and over and over again, right? And so, so what we have here in this text is something profound for us to kind of unpack. But, but, but here's the problem with temptation. And the problem for many of us with temptation is, um, we kind of minimize it and we kind of make our peace with it, right? The way we tend to think about temptation is it's, uh, it's like something that is not that big a deal, right? Uh, for many of us, you know, we we, we com- you know we feel like we're tempted uh, to eat that chocolate chip cookie, right? Or we, we feel like we're tempted uh, to gossip. Well, some of us don't really. We don't even struggle with that temptation, right? We just go straight from. Well, it doesn't feel like a temptation because we're on hair trigger to do that anyway. So, so what what how how does this work? And how does what Jesus has done here help us? Well, the fact of the matter is to get at this and to begin to understand this, I, I want I want you to come to grips with something that uh, that lent that Ash Wednesday, that these things should teach us. And it's this uh, next slide, please, Becky, um, that uh, and if you can't hear anything else today, if you're going to check out now, let me tell you, you need to hear these words. You are vulnerable. The church can be accused sometimes appropriately of being irrelevant, pie in the sky, out of touch. I hear it every week. But in a world of noise, of Pinterest perfectionism, and I don't even know exactly what that is, (laughs) but I know some of you do uh, because I'll say to you, wow, I like the way you've decorated your house. I got it from Pinterest. Whoever he is, he he has a lot of he has a lot of authority in this church, right? I mean, it's capitalized Pinterest. It's somebody's name, right? Just kidding. I know what it is. Yeah. A Pinterest perfectionism where we who are privileged can be sated with creature comforts and endless entertainment, right? Uh, one of the things that about Jesus's temptation that's so different from our temptation is Jesus is tempted as he's fasting 40 days in the wilderness alone. Right. And many of us, uh, uh, we, we, you know, that's kind of the context of our temptation, right? It's alone, even though we may be in a crowd, many of us, you know, we feel it in here or up here. Uh, and it's a kind of a transaction that goes between us and the tempter. Right. Um, but in, in the midst of all this, for many of us, you know, we just kind of anesthetize ourselves, uh, 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 against all of that. Jesus was tempted, not in a world of plenty like we live in, but in a world of deprivation, right? I can't think of anything more honest, gritty, relevant, needed, and counterculturally prophetic than Ash Wednesday, a day to face our vulnerability without a filter, without distraction, without Novocaine. I need to be looked at and told by someone I love and who loves me that I'm going to die and so is everyone I know. It's a reality I hate so much that I can never face it unless I am in a community that faces it together. And the mystery of the gospel is that if Jesus was next to me in the Ash Wednesday service, in a service where they impose ashes on your forehead, he would kneel and be marked by ashes as well. He too was marked for death, even from his birth. God himself took on vulnerability. He knew loss. He stared squarely at death. He raged, he wept, he died. Come Easter, we will celebrate his defeat of death through the resurrection. But for now in Lent, we make space to sit in the emotional complexity of the already, but not yet the place that if we are honest, we live in each day of our lives from the first to the last. We are vulnerable, each one of us as vulnerable as a newborn baby held held at the kneeling rail. She writes this in the context that the first time she ever went to an Ash Wednesday service, she saw people with babies, and she's at this service this Wednesday, the lady who wrote this, with a three-week-old. And they marked those infants with ashes. And the first time she saw that, it infuriated her. It made her so mad, she swore she'd never go back to church again. It's not a bad reaction, frankly. It ought to do something to you. It ought to do something to us um, that we are that vulnerable, right? It's horrific and unavoidable But in this shadow of death, there is comfort. Not the kind of comfort I manufacture, nor false promises of safety and little pleasures, but the relentless lasting comfort of a great shepherd who knows that we're as vulnerable as bleeding sheep and calls us his beloved, right? Next slide, please, Becky. Becky. I want you and I today to conclude that we are vulnerable to sin and death. This whole spiritual exercise is meaningless if you don't first come to grips with that. If the spirit of God does not open us up to the reality of our desperate need, our desperate vulnerability, then all of these things we go about doing and saying and giving up and we are simply playing here a child's game when the tempter, when sin and death and our flesh is playing a deadly game with our lives. If we are vulnerable then to sin and death, then we're certainly vulnerable to temptation and falling. Now, many of you, let me just say this out at the beginning. Many of you don't experience much temptation because you've quit struggling against it. You have a besetting sin in your life that you are ashamed of, that makes you ashamed, that makes you hide, and that you hide in that, and that frankly, inside your heart, you've given up. It makes you a little bit cynical, it makes some of you a little bit sad. It makes some of you, uh, because you feel so ashamed because you can't overcome it. My friend, today, hear me. You can't. That's the point of this text. You are not alone, you are not by yourself, you are not left to your own devices to deal with the temptation, to deal with the devil, to deal with the world, to deal with your flesh. You are vulnerable and those enemies are so large, they will kill you unless someone fights for you. Left to ourselves, we will always, always fall prey to this and that we will fall prey to it in an ultimate and eternal way unless someone intervenes on our behalf. Right? So, What we have to do here is see our identity and see us in this text, that Jesus isn't just doing this out there and is saying something to us about Jesus, certainly. But if I am in Jesus, these temptations and his work today say something about me and about you, if you are in him. So let's look at that uh, uh, then this morning. Rather, rather than have a, a a a time to to see about how you can avoid temptation, we'll talk about that at the end because it, some of you need some help with that. But you need a bigger vision today to see and to understand what it is that Jesus is doing. So, a couple of things to note about this. You know, if you if you just read this text and if you've grown familiar with it, you think Jesus was tempted three times, right? But if you read the text a little more carefully, what do we note about this? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Interestingly, he was led by the Spirit into the, into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So, so the fact of the matter is we have three very specific temptations that are listed in this text. But the fact of the matter is Jesus is undergoing temptation for 40 days. It's 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 relentless. It's never ending. It's not just that that Jesus is somehow or other, uh, you know, he gets these three temptations, he beats these, and off he goes, you know, on his ministry, and everything is great. The fact of the matter is that he is being tempted all the time. What you have to see is is that that Jesus is invading the devil's territory, and the devil's not having it, and so he's coming at Jesus with everything he's got. And he's going to come at him and he's going to come at him and he's going to come at him until Jesus finally gets the ultimate victory by dying on a cross. And so as you see this today, what you have to understand is this is not just some little thing, some small thing that Jesus and that it was a foregone conclusion that that Jesus would overcome these things. Your future, your destiny, my destiny. In fact, the destiny of the world is bound up in this. Right. So. So one of the, the, and and, and if you, if you think that it's, 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 you know, that's even a stretch. Look at what he says at the end in verse 13, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So, so the the fact of the matter is that we have this right here, this text in the gospel of Luke, the devil is at Jesus all the time because When he finished every temptation, not just these three, he departed for a little bit until an opportune time. Well, when's the opportune time tomorrow, (laughs) right? (laughs) When's an opportune time right now? I was, I was thinking about this, this week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to uh, Bob Littlepage's uh, retirement party. And, um, what a what a great testimony to Bob's life and the work of Jesus in him. He's blushing right now, and Sylvia's telling him to sit up straight. But uh, they said something remarkable about Bob at his retirement party. They said the guy a guy literally stood up at his retirement party and said, "I've worked with Bob for thirty one years, and in thirty one years, I've never seen him angry at work once." And I thought, at my retirement party, (laughs) the people I work with are going to stand up and say, I've worked with Steve Shelby for 30-something years, and there's not a day at work he wasn't mad about something. (laughs) Right? When's an opportune time? Oh, are you breathing? That's an opportune time, right? Right? So 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 the fact is as we as we look at this today as we as we understand this this is something that is relentless on Jesus right not only is Jesus surrounded by 12 sinful men not only is he surrounded by a sinful crowd not is he only surrounded by 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 enemies in the flesh he is harassed and surrounded all the time by this enemy as well right now let's notice a little bit about the context of what's going on here the text uh, about Jesus's um, temptation comes in Luke after his baptism by John the Baptist, right? That's how. Notice how the text begins here. It says, "And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned uh, from um, uh, uh, the Jordan where he had been baptized." Right? And we have this weird thing that 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 Jesus goes into the wilderness not because he wants to, not because he needs a break, not because he's going camping, but the Spirit led him into the wilderness. In Matthew's gospel, it said the spirit compelled him to go into the wilderness. And so so this is something that God has for them. This is an essential part of his identity. This is an essential part of his ministry to to go into this wilderness and and to do this battle and to do this work. But the other thing to note about this is that this this story, beginning at chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, what does it say? And Jesus... The words that go right before that is a genealogy. At the end of chapter three, Luke breaks off from Jesus's baptism and he gives a genealogy and he gives a genealogy working from Jesus back to Adam. And so the last verse before this verse is the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. The son of God that in some way, What Luke is saying to us today is something very profound that, that he ends the genealogy there with Adam, the son of God, a type of son of God, our father in the flesh, Adam, before he goes directly now to Jesus, who just heard, The words of his father at his baptism, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You are the son of God. And now this son of God goes into the wilderness where the, the previous son of God, Adam, was in the garden. This son of God, Jesus, the beloved and only son, goes into the wilderness and fights in deprivation where our father, Adam, the son of God, fought and lost a battle in plenty. You can have anything in this garden you want, just not that tree. And he lost. He lost. And when he lost, we lost. And so this genealogy is a record, not just of Jesus' people, certainly, but it is a record of failure. They all lost. We all lose. It's not like the preschool race where everyone's a winner. We're losers in this battle. And if you don't believe that they lost, where are they? They're dead. They lost. They all lost. And we too will lose. And so that son of God, Adam is purposely just juxtaposed with this son of God, Jesus, where he hears and he goes into the wilderness to do this battle, to fight on our behalf, to overcome temptation and to reverse the record of loss and to reverse the record of failure so that we being in Jesus have his victory over the world, the flesh and the devil. Next slide. So again, another Lutheran hymn that I came across this week, you know, because the way we tend to think about temptation and the way we tend to think about this text is that what Jesus is doing here is giving us an example of how to deal with temptation. And he certainly is doing that. But if you only come at this, that Jesus is my teacher and not my victor, if you only come at this, that Jesus is instructing me, but he is uh, but but is not doing this on my behalf and I am in him and therefore his victory there is my victory, you're at a loss. With might of ours can nothing be done. Soon were our loss affected, but for us fights the valiant one whom God Himself elected. Ask ye who is this? Jesus Christ it is. If you're in Christ, you're there in that wilderness. You're feeling those hunger pains. You're feeling those difficulties. You're feeling that alone, and you are in Christ and He wins for you. Next slide. So Jesus is fighting and winning. Where we have lost all the generations before him fought that battle and lost right now, the thing that you have to see about this is for many of us, we read this and we think, well, those temptations are meaningless you know if this, if if, if, it were, if it were me if jesus you know if, if Satan had showed up with some pornographic images or if 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 he had showed up with with some juicy gossip about somebody in my church that I don't really like, or, or somebody finally got their comeuppance once and for all, or if he, if he were to show up, you know, whatever your particular besetting thing that you like to indulge your flesh in, whatever it, whatever it happens to be in, then it would be meaningful for you. But you can't see that the temptation doesn't begin with, hey, Jesus, turn these rocks into bread. The temptation begins with the very first word that the devil says. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. That's understatement, right? Forty days, he's hungry, I guess. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God. That's the key point of this temptation. And it's isn't that the way the devil works, right? Jesus has just heard the words, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Well, if you are my the beloved son in whom I am well pleased, why did you drive me to the wilderness? Why did you put me out here for 40 days? Why am I struggling? Why am I suffering? And so it is at that precise moment where Jesus is, is feeling the weakness of being a mortal human being where the devil comes to him and says, hey, you know what the father said? You're a son. Hey, if you're the son, really, really, you're a son. Really? You belong to him. If that was true, why would you be in this fix? Right? So the the very issue here and the, and the battle is going to be shaped not by willpower so much, but first by identity, who is Jesus? He's the son of God, the beloved son of God. And that identity, those words ringing in his ear are what is going to shape and direct him as he does this battle for us, right? So Jesus is not tempted with adultery or or gluttony or those things. He is he's he's tempted by sins of identity. Really? If you're the son of God, ah uh, you know what, if you're the son of good, you wouldn't be in this situation that you're in, right? That if is a mighty, mighty big word. And I think, you know, the way that the, the, the devil is thinking about this and the way it works for us too is the identity is that if you belong as a son to God, there should be no suffering, right? There shouldn't be any kind of difficulty, right? There shouldn't shouldn't be any Uh, uh, Of those things you see next slide, Becky, the that Satan would do anything to keep Jesus from experiencing suffering and the vulnerability of being a mortal human being. Because you see, if Jesus continues in the legacy of failure, we're doomed. The world is doomed. You have no hope. It doesn't matter that he died, right? Because his death was simply just like all of our deaths, right? But the fact of the matter is, Jesus wins. He wins. He wins not only here, but he wins every single day of his mortal life. He He wins. He wins. He wins. And if he wins, you win. If he's a son and you're in him, You are a son. You are fighting temptation and failing because you are doing it as Steve Shelby. Not as my life is hidden Jesus. I belong to him and he belongs to me and his victory is mine. I am a son. I am a son. I am a child. Right? Right? So if Jesus continues in the legacy of failure, we're doomed, but he fights, and he will continue to fight, and he will win. You're vulnerable. Um, Two things this week brought that home to me in sweet, profound, sad ways. One, obviously, is getting to hold uh, a tiny little baby. but I look at him, I love him. I would do anything for him, but he's a sinner and he will die. If he had been at a church on Wednesday that imposed ashes, I would have seen to it that he had the ashes imposed on his head. Yeah. Just because he's cute, which he is, doesn't deliver him, right? Only Jesus, only Jesus delivers us. A dear friend of mine, a mentor of mine, who I've known for 33 years, is going to die soon. They've done all they can, and now they're just making him comfortable. He's only a few years older than me. Um... He's been put on hospice care, um, and he will die soon. What's his hope as he faces the vulnerability of mortality? It's not that he was a good guy or a good teacher or a good pastor, a good professor. It's that he's in Jesus' And Jesus won for him. And Jesus will win for him. Listen, you're vulnerable. Just look at your record and the record of your people. So I'm here to tell you, if you can and you experience temptation because you're vulnerable, run from it. And I'm telling you to run from it. Even if it's ensnared you a thousand and one times, if it's coming at you, run from it. If you can, avoid it. Get away from it. But when you can't, and there are some times when we can't, you fight it. But you don't fight it with a white knuckle um, act of the will. You fight it by remembering that Jesus has fought and won for you. And he is the beloved son and you are in him and you are the beloved son and your identity, who you are and what he has done is your strength. Look at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and see your identity as being an alliance with the son, not being building an alliance with the counterfeit. And then lastly, renounce it when you fall and turn back to Jesus. Listen, I know how this works. And I know that there are some of you out here today who are thinking to yourself, and you've had this kind of dark, cynical brew going on in your heart. And it's something like this. A million times you've heard me say to you, God loves you and he forgives you even as you fail. And so you are experiencing temptation and you hear those words and you think, you know what? It's not a big deal. Jesus forgives me. He'll always forgive me. It's fine. I can do this. And then you do it. 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 it. And some of you have been blessed enough that when you do it, you have a sense of remorse. But when you have that sense of remorse, what you hear, the next word is, how could God forgive you a thousand times for that same thing? You don't believe, you're presumptuous. And so you sink further into despair and you never turn, right? And you just give up. Praise God, Jesus doesn't give up. He didn't quit, and He won't quit. Remember who you are and turn, 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 and keep turning to the one who won this victory for you. Listen, uh, I know many of you. this, I know for many of you, the issue of temptation is a non-issue because you quit. You don't experience temptation anymore because temptation is only for those who struggle. You're a son. You're an heir. You're in Jesus. And he won. You won in him. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins together. Holy God, we are guilty of rejecting your commands, of doubting your promises, of proud self-reliance, of neglect to rest in you. Daily we fail to love you and our neighbor as we ought. Praise you for providing the Savior in Jesus, who takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. Lord, continue the work of salvation in us. Conquer our weakness with your strength. Blot out our self-centeredness with your glory. Meet us in our suffering and disappointments. Refine us as you see fit. Keep us from returning to sin's bondage. Brighten our hearts with your grace. Redirect our desires so that we may delight deeply in you. Amen. Believer, weakling, failure, tempted, sufferer, cynical one, discouraged one. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. You are vulnerable. It's the truth. I'm vulnerable. It's the truth. I will die. You will die. I will fail. You will fail. When you come forward... And you take this bread and you drink this cup. You admit that. And you do it soberly, but with joy, because you know by doing this, you are proclaiming the victory of Jesus Christ over the world, over sin, over the flesh, over the devil, and over death himself. You see... When your father, Adam, failed in the garden, God came to him and said, yeah, you're out of the garden and uh, to dust you will return because that's what you were made of. Yeah, that's true. But I will send the seed of the woman and he will come and he will crush the serpent's head. In that wilderness that day, those 40 days, Jesus started crushing his head. He crushed it again in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but yours. And he crushed it decisively when he died on the cross. And he crushed it even more decisively when he rose from the grave. And he will crush it once and for all so that there will be no need for it to be crushed ever again when he returns. Hallelujah. So when you come and you eat this and you drink this, you are saying, Jesus, crush him again and me. I need it. I am weak. I am vulnerable. You know that. And I know that that is what attracts you to me. So Jesus, here I am, vulnerable one, win the victory. Help me, help me, help me, help me. If you're not vulnerable today, you're strong. This is not for you. But if you're weak and vulnerable and mortal, eat this, drink this, my friends, and live forever. That's your hope. And you have proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere. Come on. Come on, weaklings. Come on, losers. Come on, vulnerable ones. This is our table of victory. Our victor has won the victory for us entrust yourself to him. As the elders and deacons come down front this morning to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine. The inner rings are grape juice. All the bread is bread that is gluten-free.